Oh my god, finally. Jeez, how long has it been since you talked tennis? How long has it been since you talked college sports? Actually, probably never on, on the podcast. I'm probably not going to lie to you guys. You, you guys don't deserve that. But man, and finally getting around to this concept. I, I did an episode about the state of golf. And now I'm doing an episode when it comes to tennis and college sports, especially when they're in full swing. So I welcome back to yet another episode. Double A is your host on high voltage with Double A. There's really no introduction to this episode other than just let's just get right into it. So I will first tell you, yes, I am a tennis player. I don't play for a high school or in a group or a league or any association. I don't do that. But I do play with friends. I do play matches. And it's very serious. It's very competitive. And I do consider myself an athlete, even though it's harder to do that consistently because you need another person to play against. And they're not always available. But at the same time, tennis is the game in which I was an athlete in high school and I've always considered myself to be one, even though I played baseball for a long time, but I never was anything other than just a little league player, you know, not for a school team or in a league setting where, you know, it was very serious. So don't consider me an expert when it comes to professional tennis. It's really just my whole point. The fact of the matter is, is that I don't follow professional tennis that much. And when it comes to college sports, same thing. I don't really follow it that much. I will say that I do follow the college football playoffs just because, you know, every game is you win or you go home, right? And then maybe when you win, you win the championship. And then, you know, March Madness because I do like the concept of the bracket and how big it is. You got the Cinderella story. And then when it comes to other sports, college baseball, I don't really follow that much. Softball, I don't really follow that much either. And then I can't even imagine other college sports I I would follow, even though, of course, there's many. Whatever there is a sport, there probably is a college, a university playing it in their respective conference. So I'm not big when it comes to college sports. I'm really just about professional, Major League Baseball, NFL, somewhat NHL, and, of course, NBA, and, and definitely not with the MLS. I'm just not a big soccer fan. But with tennis, I think I don't follow that just – because I separate myself from professionals, right? And I'm not saying that as in like, oh, I'm better than them. Because clearly I'm not. They're better than me. But my game at my age and my skill set is clearly not up to theirs. So I don't typically like watching them play tennis and getting the wrong idea about, oh, I could potentially do this and I could potentially be there. Because they're just, they're way better physically. They're way better mentally. They got way more time. It's their careers. They practice. They they do repetitions. You know, and, and it just seems like as it, it's their gift. It is their talent, and they execute it, right? For me, I, I feel like my gift is more so giving people advice, and I, I do that through this podcast, but when it comes to just the physical aspect, it's really just not there, and maybe I didn't put myself out there enough. I didn't truly, I don't know. Maybe it was just a lack of belief, and maybe just I wasn't thinking about professional at the time, and again, it's such an older age just in high school you really should start wanting to become a professional tennis player at such a young age or baseball player and the fact that you know I didn't make it to the high school baseball team it's kind of like okay let me go to tennis but then by that point 
becoming a professional tennis player is probably out the window because there's people that started as young as five or six years old. And I didn't even play tennis that, that young, really. Didn't hear of it until, like, I don't know, nine or ten years old. Still, that's not the point. The point is that I will give you some insight about the game of tennis, but for the most part, what I will give you is just state of the sport, where it is right now, where I think it's heading, and I'm not going to, like, give any too specifics, you know, like, I know I could give you specifics in terms of the timing of this episode coming out, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stick to what I know today, and then what I know, what I think I know will happen in the past. So, and it's not like I don't watch tennis. I, I don't want to give you that impression. I still do watch tennis, and I'm very much amused by it, especially when I don't see tennis that much, but I prefer watching people, my own skill set. So, I should have said that a bit earlier. I, I, I Felt like I had to finish my own sentence that I said like seven sentences ago. Still, let's just get started. Men's tennis was simple and predictable, right? Like, I'll let you in on a little secret, okay? Like, I was going to record this episode before Federer retired. And don't don't get me wrong. It's not like he did a lot over the past few months. Like, he wasn't really in majors. He was still tending to the knee in which, of course, he was falling off his recovery from knee surgery and he's always had complications with that throughout his career and it's unfortunate when it comes down to tennis like that's going to happen with within an athlete just because of how brutal it is on your body but I will say that I'm glad that I didn't record it because I had had to change my notes here I was going to tell you that men's tennis is still to this day simple and because of that the predictability of it turns me off like it would have just been and, and we we saw it we saw it with him Djokovic and Nadal like it was going to be one of those three guys winning the championship and that's not fun I want to see unpredictability I want to see the uncertainty and not just have it be like oh there's no point being in this tournament because we know who the winner is going to be and it's not like okay pick one you know it was it's was just it's, it comes down to one of the three guys and that was just too certain of the outcome for me. And maybe that has to say something about the sport of tennis, but it also has to say something about their dominance. It just so happens about occurring at the same time. And that's not necessarily fun for me as a viewer when I kind of like March Madness for the fact that I don't know if the one seed is actually going to get beaten by that eighth seed or by that fifth seed. You don't know. In tennis, it's not usually like that when it comes to fair Nadal and Djokovic so with him retiring now I had to change my notes I'm going to say it's still kind of simple and it's still kind of predictable but with him retiring it's very much less so now it's very much more so as I'm probably going to say throughout this episode or maybe a few times I don't know the wild wild rest because you do have a lot of exciting young players like Alcaraz and Medvedev and TFO right we do still have a duopoly here between Nadal and Djokovic. I understand Djokovic has the vaccine issue, but now seeing what Canada just did, you had to quarantine for 14 days, but they will allow unvaccinated foreigners to be in their country. And that might, with that being done, other countries might follow suit, in which then Djokovic is going to allow to play in Wimbledon. He's going to be allowed to play in the Australian Open, the U.S. Open. And so forth. So that's going to be big for him. And then when it comes to the doll, it just comes down to his body. And I do expect these two, even though, again, Federer 
great guy. I wish him nothing but the best in his retirement. I still see these two as the as the front runners, no matter what. If they're in the tournament, they're going to be the heavy favorites, and therefore, I'm I'm. It's still kind of predictable, still pretty predictable, and it's going to for the most part. Not every single major is going to be for the next two or three years, Nadal and Djokovic, but it's most likely going to be them. I really do hope that when it comes to the younger players, that their stardom comes up fast. Because I know that when it comes to tennis, like we see it with Tissipas, right? You have to go through some growing pains. You have to shake off your weaknesses of not being in the clutch or developing that second serve. And don't get me wrong, it takes nothing away from how great the sport of tennis is. But what I will say is that even though Federer kind of ruins my argument of it being predictable, you still have some of the greatest tennis players of all time still playing today. And you, Djokovic, you can argue, he's rested up. Could have said, like, oh, he was going to retire in a few years. Now make that five or six years because he's rested so much. You can make that argument. With Nadal, he rested for a little bit, came back for the U.S. Open. Is he going to rest again? Is that going to be good for his body and prolong his career? Again, unfortunately, it didn't happen like that for Federer. Nonetheless, I just don't see anybody yet coming through the throne and sticking there. Like, I can see Medvedev or Alcaraz winning a major in 2023. They're amazing, right? Medvedev won, I forget which major it was. I know Alcaraz just won. Medvedev beat Djokovic in the major. Maybe it was the U.S. Open. I, I don't exactly remember which one. They're going to have their moments. And it really just a matter of who's hot, right? We saw that with Tefo, but at the end of the day, still, I'm going to put my money. As long as they're healthy, and as long as they're in the tournament, I see their seating. I'm going to put my money on Nadal and Djokovic, and that's to their credit because they want it, right? They know that they're chasing greatness. They're going back and forth with each other, and they want to get the most amount of majors for a men's player that that's ever had. Just again, the bad part is though, is that I know that they're going to win. I know they're going to win. It with Nadal with him with the U.S. Open, it wasn't as predictable because he's still coming back from it. But once he gets going, and I can see whatever next major he's in, he's going to be the heavy favorite. And if I'm wrong, maybe then it's not as predictable as I thought. But all I know is that going into my thought process for this episode, I'm like, it's an oligopy, you know? If the big three makes it a little bit less fun for me as a viewer, because sure, within the match, and you have two players that I'm not familiar with, you don't know who's going to win that. But what's the point of watching a match in the tournament if you know that it doesn't really matter about this match because none of these guys have a real chance against Djokovic, Nadal, or Federer? But now it's a little bit different. Nadal dealing with some injuries. Djokovic, you're going to say, like, oh, he's coming out for revenge. But if he's not in the tournament, because it depends, again, on each separate country, and Canada might help out. And then you have some of the younger players. Are they going to continue making strides? Are they going to go through some growing pains? Like, every player is different. I do really like where tennis is going. The predictability has gone down with Ferrer being injured, officially retiring, Nadal being injured, 
Djokovic with the issues, and it's unfortunate that he had to deal with that whole fiasco down in Australia. Hopefully, there's not a fiasco like that, and, and as publicly as it was, happen again. Not a great look for him or Australia, but again, we're going to deal with 2023. 2022 now is in the past. What's going to happen in 2023? And I, and I can't wait. I do see the young guns, and they want it. Some of them feel like it's my time now. I'm going to see it as your time either 2024 or 2025. When it comes to 2023, and for the most part 2024, I still see it as a duopoly. And I hope I'm wrong about that. I really am. But all I know is that these guys are going to retire sooner than later, and they want to end on a high note. Especially Joe, because he feels like he's got a chip on his shoulder. Everybody just does not like him, probably doubts him. Even if Nadal retires, I still see it as predictable, more so than other people, because they're like, well, Feller's gone, Nadal's gone, why do you still see Jokers as the heavy favorite? Because <laughs> we're talking about one of the greatest players of all time here. Like, what he does is just so special. So special. And I don't know if any of these young guys, like Meredith, Alcaraz, TFO, I, I don't anticipate, I don't know if any one of them is going to become the greatest of all time. When we see greatness, this is like Michael Jordan in our lifetime when it comes to us 20-something-year-olds. We didn't really see him in the early 90s, mid-90s as like a teenager. If we were alive, we were like one or two years old, right? When it comes to these guys, we're witnessing greatness. And when it comes to greatness, there's something to them that's just not explained, that cannot be explained to someone normally. And so what they do, what a guy like... Djokovic does is that he just has such a competitive fire. He prepares so much. He's got such a great mental game. Never backs away from a challenge. And his stamina is probably something that you can't measure. But he can go on for seven sets if he needs to. And that cannot be understated. So again, even if it's just a monopoly. I'm going to still view it as like until all three of them retire. And of, of course, when it comes to any sport, you're going to have athletes retire at some point. They just got to. We're all told at some point, as I don't know who said, but in Moneyball, that quote was said. Like, we're all told at one point, whether as a kid, a teenager, or as a full-grown adult, we're all told that our time is done, right? And again, it was very emotional seeing Federer go off like that in the VAR Cup, and of course he was with Nadal doing that. Very great and unique relationship. I think Djokovic was there cheering them on, but we're all told. So I, I just don't believe that until the day that all three of them are are done, have officially not play tennis anymore, I'm still going to have them as a heavy favorite to win two or three at the very least majors in U.S. tennis. And like I said, that's not necessarily what I want for the sport. At least it's better than saying four, you know, that when they were in their prime, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, nobody other than those three won a major. And it was kind of ridiculous. It made them absolutely great. Like they have at least 20 majors amongst all of them. But it did kind of ruin the viewership and the marketing aspect when there's other players other than those three. But we knew that... <laughs> They're not going to win. They're going up against Jordan here. They're going up against Magic here. They're going up against Larry here. Like, one of them, of those three, are going to win it all. We don't really care about Dr. J that much. He's only won one 
title. And he's, of course, one of the greatest players of all time. Hakeem was lucky to win his two because Jordan was forced to retire for that two-year period in which Magic was at the tail end of his career. So he, he, got, he snuck in with two. And, of course, Larry was kind of getting out of the league himself around that time. So Hakeem found, found himself with two. And that's something, it's not the greatest analogy, but that is like a three-headed monster. Magic, Larry, and, and Michael playing all around the same time, and they have at least three three rings amongst them. Tennis, same thing. And I like that the floodgates are kind of opening, and people are like, oh yeah, of course the floodgates are open. I mean, Federer retired, and Nadal's not the same player. I don't necessarily buy that last point, and then Jokovic is just going to go off on people. If he plays, watch out, okay? So I will still be careful. Maybe I'm saying it just so... I could jinx it, in which, of course, I am a little bit of a superstitious person or a little stitious. But still, hopefully for the game of tennis, that it does not happen. We love a good tournament. And for the most part, I feel like a tournament is the best way of deciding who a winner should be. And if you see it with all the playoffs, that's really what it is. It is a tournament. It is a bracket. I feel like the more participants in the tournament, the better. Tennis needs to be unpredictable. I'm going to explain the women's side in one moment. That's unpredictable. With the men's side, I hope it gets to that point. Before Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, it was unpredictable. Then they started to come in, and it's predictable. So I do hope and pray that for the sake of tennis, for the sake of viewership, for the sake of me watching, I'm still going to watch majors. I don't necessarily like watch it too much. I know I should as someone who really plays the game of tennis, but all I know is that Let's make it more interesting. And I know it's it's like you're faulting the players for not being good enough. It's not, it's not even necessary that. You just got to win your point when you know you need to. Because you might have just that one opportunity when you have add-in with Deuce. That might be your only opportunity. And they should feel like as if it is their only opportunity. Because you shouldn't play as if, like, even if I lose, I'll have another opportunity. You don't know that for sure. You need to win that point. Just in case if you don't, you might lose the next two points in which then you just lost deuce, in which then you just lost your momentum, in which that's another thing. Take advantage of momentum. So I am putting the onus on the younger players or a guy like Curious or a guy that has been around the tour for a while but just has not done anything with it because the big three-headed monster has been in their way. I'm calling for all of them to step up because they haven't. And with Federer gone... That makes your chances more likely, not over 50%, not the majority, not the most likely, but at least it gives you a better opportunity than a few months ago when Federer was still in the rings. You didn't know he was going to play, what he was going to do, and then we saw he officially retired. This is your opportunity to take advantage of it, and I'm calling for all those players to dethrone Djokovic, to dethrone Nadal, even that they are still playing the tournament. Even though, again, my expectation is that they will win. They will continue to win until they officially stop playing. I hope I'm wrong about that. I really do. Now, women's test is very much unpredictable ever since Serena Williams' game has declined. And, of course, now she's retired. So, you you don't know who's going to win, right? Coco Golf could just be on her own in the fact that it could be a monopoly. She, she's going to be amazing. And you do have other great amazing women out there but also think about this Naomi Osaka ever since her bout with anxiety there hasn't been a clear-cut favorite no matter what and that is 
exactly what appeals to me going into it. Now, of course, it's unfortunate that it falls on a Saturday, the the final, because I'm typically busier on a Saturday than I am on a Sunday morning. The fact that I go to church on a Sunday morning, but yet, you know, I typically sleep in on a Saturday or even so maybe I'm working both days and, and, I, and I'm unable to watch both. But still, if it, if it was on a different day, or actually I'll just phrase it like this. I typically watch women's tennis more, not only because I don't know that many women in the sport of tennis, because again, I don't follow tennis that much. But again, it's so not predictable. And it's like whoever wins in this matchup that I'm watching has a chance to win because you're not dealing with Serena. You're not dealing with Osaka. And even if you had the one seed in which I forget this person's name, but she was from Germany, she was inconsistent. Like sometimes she would go past second round. There was another time where she left the second round. She lost. And in men's tennis, you just don't, typically see that so that's where i feel like in the sport of tennis you're gonna have a rush of these young up-and-coming athletes again tisipas needs to be in his point and he needs to get past that mental leap of knowing when you need to win a point not letting the moment get to you and having a clutch gene rather than choking because momentum is such a big thing in the game of tennis. I explained that in that previous episode. It is huge. And I can feel it shift when he plays. Medvedev, same thing. Like it really depends on the service game. He's got the best serve. You know, it's hard hitting. It may be flat, but it's like you see these guys back away. They're all the way back towards the wall where the crowd is. They do that for a reason. But then when he's not serving, can he actually win a game? Like, if you're winning your service game, try to win a one or two of your opponent's service games so that it doesn't have to be a tiebreaker. Like, those are many different things within the game of tennis, but still, I, I, I'm going all, I'm all over the place with this. Overall, I love the sport of tennis. Overall, I'm a little disappointed by the, the state that tennis has been even though I love Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, I do love them and what they've done for the game. I really do feel like they put tennis on the map. Those three, you could, I know you could argue, you know, a previous athletes, Mike McEnroe, and you could even argue, you know, even people before him. But in the modern era, the era in which I was born in, from 1999 onward, you have to contribute these three men into putting men's tennis on the forefront. And I got to give him a lot of credit for that. And also, like, being the inspiration to the young athletes that we see today play, women's or men. Like, they are the epitome of men's tennis and also tennis in general. They have done so much for the game and just winning so much. Winning can do a lot, if you haven't noticed. Even though it's unpredictable, they have done a lot. But I'm ready for the change of the guard. Their, their body is wearing down, so it will be a matter of time before they do retire or their game does decline, in which I would hope they retire before their game declines because with Serena, and in which, again, if you didn't know, she has retired and greatest women's tennis player of all time, you could tell that she was not the same because she kept going to the finals every single tournament but then could not win it. She either won the first set or lost both sets. And it was, it was really disappointing to see. That became predictable of itself. And so it was like, let's see what happens in the final. 
let's see who Serena faces. That was predictable, but then it was up to the question, was Serena actually going to finish it? And unfortunately, she couldn't. And she's trying to get to that 25 major championship and just couldn't get it done. So, but now with her gone, I expect Coco Goff to be that, that person to take the reins, but not yet. She's still on the rise, but she's not ready for championships, but she will be very soon. So when it comes to women's tennis, I do think Osaka is the best talented player that the women's tour has to offer. And like I said, I don't know that many. Cause I like when it comes down to it, I probably know a few a little bit more men than women when it comes to tennis. In terms of like Andy Roderick, you know, and and the guys in which I kind of saw as I grew up playing tennis, like starting from 10, 12 years old. But when it comes to women, when it comes to Osaka and Serena, Coco, and even the girl that won the U.S. Open, which she's from Canada, and I'm just not great with remembering names, and that's mostly on me for not doing that. There's not a lot of guys I can really name either, so it is kind of a shame on tennis. Another point that I haven't brought up is just the marketing aspect, right? All you really have is the big three, and that's it. I know you have... I keep saying Tsitsipas. The main reason why I know him is because he's from Greece. My, I have family in Greece. You also have Medvedev, in which I think he's right there. He's on the cusp of entering that big three in terms of talent. But, of course, he doesn't have the majors to prove for it. And then, of course, you have Nick Kyrgios, in which he's kind of like the clown. Did go to the final. It's a little bit unfortunate. You know, he did not play Nadal to get there. And, of course, Jokovic won that quite easily. Still, there there will be a change of the guard, and then everyone else is going to be 30 years old or younger, and then you're going to just see the Wild Wild West happen, not just for men, but then it will still stay consistent for women. And I do really think, again, if you love unpredictability, you love drama, you love tension, and you love that the momentum shifting and the match point, you're going to see a whole lot of that in unpredictable ways every day, including Sunday, in women's tennis. That is going to stay the same now that Serena is out of the equation. And and also, good luck when it comes to your retirement. And I know she's a mother, so I know that she doesn't need the game of tennis. But what she's done for women's tennis is as equal or more so than what the men brought to their respective sport, especially when you, you see a lot of women like talk about her as the go and talk about her as the imp- inspiration. And I've brought up the question, can Serena Williams beat Federer, Nadal, Djokovic if it was a best of three? And which again, I don't understand why they don't let the women do best of five, at least try it. Does is it like do you have some research? Do you have some evidence? I don't know. I again, I love to question, it's not a matter of assuming. So, I really do like want to get to the bond of it. But let's say if it was best of three, in which typically that does happen on the ATP tour, in which it's like it's not majors, but it's tournaments that help people avoid getting rusty before a major, regardless if you're man or woman, you play best of three. Still, in a best of three, who will win that? And when Serena was in her prime, some people would take her over of Djokovic or Ferrer. Nadal's tricky because lefties, they have a huge upgrade and a huge advantage, and you do not want to test Nadal on clay. We all know that. So, 
Serena, thank you for what you've done for the game of tennis and making me watch women's tennis because for the most part, I'm like, oh, you know, guys tennis, yeah, I'm a guy. I'll watch guys tennis and, and learn from them. But seeing her and seeing other women play tennis, I'm like, shoot, that, that this actually could be better quality. And again, like I said, it's way more unpredictable because, of course, okay, Serena's going to go to the finals. But is she going to win it? Like, with Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, we knew they were going to win it as long as they got there. The only unpredictable there was was that if two of the three guys got to the final, who was going to come out on top? But that didn't always happen. It was typically over the past, I would think, three or four, five years, you had one of these three guys make it to the championship round, facing someone else that wasn't in the big three, and then it was like clearly, you know, other than Medvedev, who's going to win that? So, again, I really do appreciate what the big three have done, but you can't discount Serena, and I'm not sure if anyone else is going to catch up to her. I, I doubt it. I mean, I was really impressed by Osaka, but she's gone in and out and also been inconsistent since the bout with Inzai and also the thing with the media. So, again, hopefully with tennis – you can market your players better because you're not going to have Serena anymore. At one point, you're not going to have Nadal Djokovic anymore. Who are you going to market and how are you going to market them? Because for the past 10 years, you guys have sucked. It's been mostly players like me, not not even like me. I don't really follow the sport that much. So you haven't even gotten me to be a big supporter, right? It's mostly been people that, they, that consider themselves to be in the tennis community all through and through. I'm in the tennis community because I play doesn't mean i follow tennis that's not good you should have people doing both you also do have people that are big fans of certain celebrities certain athletes in which of course they're great at what they do or maybe it's just oh because they represent my home country in which that's a huge factor but if you want to really get down to you know when it comes to the u.s and that's really what i'm talking about because i'm a u.s citizen and I, I don't know what the uh, when it comes to internationally what they value and what they seek out. I mostly I would guess I would know America's more than someone who's international. So I would speak upon someone in the U.S. rather than someone internationally. Still, you've done a bad job marketing in the U.S. And how you're going to get to a younger market? Are you going to get to a teenage market? The adult market, you know, like how are you going to compete with those other sports like football and basketball? So I really do think the marketing aspect has been disappointing. I do think that the predictability aspect in men's has been quite obvious. And then women's, it has been very good. It has been very dramatic and gone down to the wire. And also it's been, like I said, the wire, wire, rest. But it's just a matter of carrying that momentum over to the next few years, hoping that Coco Golf can get to that form of like, I'm ready to go. I'm not a kid anymore. Physically and mentally, I have a lot of experience now. I can be winning majors over and over again in which that does become predictable, but you do want to have that face of the sport at the same time. So is Coco going to do that? Is someone else going to do that? And then how are you going to capture the moment? How are you going to market them so you keep the sport alive and well and in the news? Because that's really what what matters here. Serena did that beautifully. With the big three, with an oligopoly, they did that beautifully. But now, times are changing, and you need to adapt with the times. Do you, are you going to market differently? Are you going to have a different strategy? So the marketing aspect is really what I'm hammering home here. But at the same time, like I said, tennis, 
needs to be a little bit more unpredictable on the men's side. And then with women's, I, I would just say, I wouldn't really say that much, actually. I, I really do like how it is. There's really not a lot I would say. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something, and I just, it's just, I guess unpredictability is just a huge thing with me. I, they do really seem united, for one thing. I remember that one person from China, you know, they were definitely standing with her and staying up against the Chinese government, in which I do really applaud them for that. I've said that before on one of my sports updates, and that's where they, they had me, you know, in terms of me supporting them. Because I'm not definitely, definitely n- not a big fan of the Chinese government. There's not a lot I can say. There's not a lot of bad things I can say about women's tennis. And that's definitely a good thing. But again, you've done that for me. Are you going to do that for other people, the typical heiresses, and that does, in fact, like sports and does watch sports? So that's something else to consider right there. And then now, let's get into college sports. Now, here's the thing. I, it's I do say college sports I do it's not just about football I I, I understand that but whatever is going to happen these dynamics that are shifting they're going it's going to be led by football like you see these conferences at like the U, UCLA and USC they're going to the Big Ten we know that Texas and Oklahoma they're going to the SEC when it comes to Notre Dame. Who knows what they're going to do? It really does seem like they are the big wild card. And it does seem like, you know, the kind of the factor in which a lot of people are looking out for to see then what happens to this conference or that conference, such as the Pac-12 and the Big 12. And also the the ACC. Like, I don't want to forget them. So whatever Notre Dame does, it seems like those three conferences could follow suit and possibly form two huge super conferences and that that might be controversial for fans to accept because when it comes down to i talked to a few people uh they they went to penn state like of course they love their football and of course they know that penn state is not going to be a legitimate team this season in terms like you know making the playoff and whatever like i mean come on and they knew that before the season started but they, they want to keep it the same way as it is because the conferences are meant to be as they are for a reason. And they know that geographically it just works, right? And that totally makes sense. And, and again, we're not even though we're talking about in a football context, I just want to remind people this does apply to other sports. It's not just college football. It does It's marketed. It's huge. And that's really what the media talks about. We don't really talk about college basketball that much, in which, again, not that many people probably knew who was getting drafted during the NBA draft. So with football, it's it's like almost up there with NFL, like in terms of its popularity. Like people do really love college football because some people in some towns don't have an NFL team, but they have a college team. And it's not going to change that. Like the conferences, these super conferences that might have, it's not going to change that. But it does make it a little less appealing when you have these rivalries with some of the schools. And sure, they still might be in the same conference. Who knows? Maybe they won't be. We'll see how all the conferences play out. But right now, it really does seem trending for the ACC, the Pac-12, Big 12, all combining to become 
the Big Ten versus the SEC, right? And again, depending on geographic location and qualifications and eligibility, you know, all that kind of stuff in which the conference presses would have to talk about, it seems like it's going to be Big Ten versus SEC. I will definitely say that the rivalries do kind of get watered down in the whole process, and it's almost like starting over. There's not that much history with the school going into a new conference, and I understand like the school still didn't get relocated. The school is still doing its thing, still playing football, still playing its sports, but being in a different conference does feel different because you face different people. You face, you, you travel differently. There's just a different feel to it. It's almost like a nostalgia thing, and it's really hard to explain but people do know and care about conference play, and it doesn't really going to feel the same way when Penn State's going all the way out to California to face UCLA or USC. So, and I I didn't typically care about conferences that much typically because I didn't really care about regular season college football that much. But I can understand that you might as well keep it within the conferences. And then, yeah, you do want to have your ones going up against the twos. And if they're not in the same conference, you know, like whatever, just give us that. But you don't want it to be too, too far because, again, these are students. And they still have to figure a way to do their work, their assignments, and be on a plane for five hours and then dealing with the, the time zone difference and preparing for their practices, their their games, their films. It's like it's not going to be easy for the kids to cra- to travel cross country. And I know this is a, sp- a specific example, but still, let's remember they're not professional athletes. They are student athletes who so happen to be getting paid, okay? In which, you know, we uh, can't deny that that is another factor in which I'm not a huge fan of that. I'm not like I think that's one reason why I think people love it because there, there's an amateurism to it and most people that our student athletes don't get paid and you root for them they're the underdog story kind of like rudy you know which i i said with that movie reminds me of a younger version of rocky but still just said like why do you have to get paid and feel like a top paid athlete because some people in sports don't like how these athletes are so egotistical and they get paid a whole lot of money they feel like they have a whole lot of power a whole lot of say as if they own the team and it's like ridiculous. But when it comes to these kids, you like that naive, that innocent factor. But then when they touch money, they turn evil almost. And that's really unfortunate. But of course, I do understand that it is a job to be an athlete. Like I was talking about with Natalie, it is a job to be a student. As I've said that before, I will say that I get it, but I don't like it. And that's probably one reason why. I have not watched that much college football. And I, you can make the argument, well, you didn't watch college football even before that. And yes, that, that is very much true. But it doesn't make me want to watch it any more so. so but that's really besides the point. Uh, what I, I was just talking about was just the West Coast thing and feeling like as if they are professional athletes. And maybe they should fans should embrace that, that these kids now getting paid and, and traveling as if they are professional athletes, they might, you might have to treat this and see this differently. Like the state of college sports, and again, with football, they, the athletes for the most part in football get paid rather than another sport in which I know basketball's there, but you're not hearing a volleyball player getting paid or someone in softball or baseball 
getting paid like a whole lot of money and especially when you know these schools really just care about football and basketball but I feel like people should just see college sports as a semi-professional league or conference or association and there's really nothing much they could do about that kids don't want to be just having an education in which I was about to say they don't want to be in debt but if you have a scholarship you're not going to be that much in debt but you feel like okay so I'm getting an education but if I don't finish then what am I doing with my time am I just developing as an athlete I want to get paid for my time and my for my development because who knows I, I might not get drafted I might not turn out pan out to be any anything so I might as well get paid before it's too late just as like as insurance and again like I said I don't blame them but I do feel like the education thing and and I'm not going to get into that but when it comes to the state of college sports just know treat them more professionally than you did in years past because they are not just amateurs anymore some of them are but at the same time do you really know that they are because you don't know what deals they did, sponsorships, endorsement deals, or otherwise. They don't have to publicize it, They and I would think they, they would, but maybe it was a side deal, or maybe it was kind of like a secret thing. Who knows? But point is, is that some way, somehow, these kids are, are have more access to more money, more resources, and I would definitely see them differently, and not just, oh, these kids... Yeah, they're amateurs, and I love that they're, you know, they just play for the love of the game. Some of them play for money, and it's a hard reality to accept, but that's where we're heading. That's where we are right now, and, like, with the courts ruling, that's the past. already happened, and it's already done. We should just come to accept that, but really what I just want to talk about, so a little bit on a tangent yet again, still, what I wanted to talk about was the super conferences. Right, and I actually, I'm actually not opposed to it. I'm not. I mean, I'm not big in college football, so I'm a little bit biased, or kind of like the opposite of bias in terms of what do I really care, you know. But thinking about super conferences might lead me to believe that you might have a situation where it kind of matches up with professional leagues. As I was just saying, you might as well treat college sports more professionally, almost treat it as if it's a professional league. Because if we do get a Southern Eastern Conference going up against the Big Ten, that's the AL versus the National League. That's the Western Conference versus the Eastern Conference in NBA and NHL. You could have the NFC versus the AFC. Like You could have the championship game be between the winner of a playoff bracket in the Big Ten, which would combine those in the Pac-12 and the Big 12, and then the SEC, which would combine probably the Independent League, which I would assume would get Notre Dame. Basically, you might have to split it in, in half, or maybe Notre Dame would go in the Big Ten. Who knows? They still have to decide. And again, like I said, it, they, it, the futures of the Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC might hinge on what Notre Dame does, so that we'd, we definitely have to see what they decide. But still, imagine having the SEC, Alabama, going up against the Big Ten, like Ohio State, but viewing it in which it's like you came away from your own certain conference and now you meet up to see which conference was better that year and you having Alabama be the representative 
of the SEC, and you're having Ohio State being the representative of the Big Ten. That's very interesting, and that does, in fact, intrigue me because that style has worked for each of the professional leagues I just mentioned. That is definitely awesome for the sport of college football and also could be something that other sports could look into if they followed a similar type of situation. Now, I know basketball has the brackets, so that might not really change and then that's really that really works with a lot of people but in other sports maybe it will work and i think it's worth trying the fact that people do love the super bowl the fact that the people do love the nba finals and the stanley cup and the world series why not do that in college football and again think actually think about this two super conferences and i mentioned this but i didn't say it directly it might lead to a playoff bracket where the winners from each conference is square off in the championship but here's the thing the playoff bracket four teams make the playoffs right now if there's two conferences then you have eight playoff teams so the number of playoff teams would increase instead of keeping it at four where there's a certain amount of conferences and it's not even guaranteed if your conference is going to make it or not so you have the four best teams in the 10 the four best teams in the SEC, and you have the bracket the same way you conduct it, just like any other year, but you do it for each separate conference, and then whoever is the winner of that bracket goes up against the other the winner of the other conference, and you square off. I really do like that concept, and I do think most people can buy that, but it's going to take a few years because they don't like change, and they like having the conferences the way that they are it's unique each conference says something about the history the rivalries the location and it's almost part of your identity like i'm a big fan of the university of oregon that means i'm in the pac-12 right that's your association with each other or when it comes to um what is it oklahoma yeah you know i'm a fan of the sooners we're in the pac-12 you know and just now that you're heading to the SEC, it's like, well, we, we're not really in the southeast. We're really just south, maybe west, and it's just weird. It, like, it felt like each conference had a little bit of association with like a geographical part. Now it's just like, oh, screw ge- geography. Let's just go with where money's going to take us. And that's really a thing that people don't like, that it has to come down to money. And that's really just where all these sports – are heading so i didn't talk about money a lot with tennis but it is a huge really sad but a big thing in college football money and like i was just talking about with the players getting money it's the reality of these conferences and these presidents and these the presence of the conferences but also the president of the university like oh i think it might be better to go with the sec because of their status and the amount of revenue they get and the amount of TV time they get, and just anything that happens, ask yourself if money played a factor in it. Because when it comes down to it, I feel like most of the time the answer will be, in fact, yes. And fans don't like that. Fans don't want to hear that. Like, oh, your money, your motivation was about money and purely about money. But that's where the game's heading. Like the NCAA, people don't like it because they're not ethical, and all they care about is getting, is getting money, even though they are actually considered a nonprofit. I'm not sure you guys know that, but it actually is, and that's really sickening, and it's kind of disgusting, actually, because that's all they really care about, and they try to do that for 
tax reasons in which they make boatload of money and they, don't, they probably don't pay as many taxes as they should in which that does anger typical Americans that do pay a lot of taxes for their hardworking money and the NCAA is not really hardworking as we know but besides that super conferences is a huge thing to look out for over the next few years and I think it might be inevitable it, I really might and I know it depends on what Notre Dame does I wouldn't be surprised if they join the Big Ten the fact that they do have a little bit of history against Alabama, I wouldn't be surprised they joined the SEC and try to have people take them more seriously rather than just being in the independent league, whatever the hell that is. Still, I do think Notre Dame has to do something. And again, it's going to have to do with money. They have their own channel, their own network, and it's very much popular. They're very much one of the more historic teams that college football and even college basketball has to offer. They need a better conference to up their play, up their their status, and up their popularity within the voters. In which, if the if the college football playoff still stays the same because you don't have these uh, stupid conferences yet, then yeah, conference does matter because the strength of the opponent matters. And sure, it might be a little awkward for Oklahoma and for Texas to be in the Big 12 right now, but they know that in the future, it's going to pay off dividends to play against those other teams when they could have the same record this this upcoming season in 2023, the 2022-2023 season, and then have the same record in 2025 when they officially move to the SEC, and they get to the playoff in that year, but not, not this upcoming one, this current one, because... The opponents in which they played, it matters. And this that's another thing you have to take into account here. The system might be a little too flawed relying on strength of the opponent that much. I mean, think about UCF, you know, like they didn't face really anyone good. They were undefeated. Like that that's not easy to do. And it's and they put up a fight in that bowl game. I I forget if they won or lost because I know that next year they lost in the I think so I think they won then lost. Still UCF claiming that they're the national champion is absolutely hilarious and and definitely kind of legendary and tough. I would just ask you this question: No matter what they do, they as in the the conferences, no matter it's the NCAA, these universities. Are you still going to keep watching? I think no matter what they do, you will. You might be mad that things are changing. You might be mad that times are changing. You might be mad that you're getting older. You know, every second that goes by, we are getting older. But you're still going to keep watching. If you love it, if you have a passion, you're going to deal with it. You're going to find a way to adapt it. You're going to find a way to like it. And it's going to be routine in a matter of months or maybe a year. But you're going to find a way to like it. And sure, you might say, well, what's the whole point of this whole episode when, you, when you're just going to tell me that I'm just preparing you for it? It's almost like I, I'm preparing you for the worst. I think you're going to have these two super conferences. You're going to have more teams make the playoff because it's four teams for each conference times that by two. And then you're going to have almost a Super Bowl in college. And you're still going to have March Madness. You're still going to have... A little bit more unpredictability because you're going to have teams that typically don't make the playoffs. They could get hot, get on a run, and you're going to see more drama. You're going to see more headlines. You're going to see more teams that typically don't get a lot of talk 
finally do get some talk like the University of Oregon because they're around five or six that I would think they would make the playoff in the Super Conference scenario. And also, you're just going to have just the money aspect. You're going to have, you, you know, this team's um, rumored and whatever the case may be. I don't know. It's it's just very all unique. It, there's no other way to really explain it. This is a one-of-a-kind sport when it comes to college sports in general, dealing with the conferences, dealing with the amateurism, dealing with what the Supreme Court said, and dealing with head coaches, which they're getting paid a whole lot of money, by the way, and also just how much power each person, like an official, whether it's a coach, whether it's a president, athletic director, all they that they have, even though they only play like, what, a few months, you know, from like August down to December, which is the last fourth, the last third of the year like they don't even play for that much and yet people just tune in no matter what and it's so popular all the time and it says a lot about the power of sports and specifically college sports because like i said they don't that most cities most towns that have a university that play these sports and, and take it pretty seriously don't have a team to root for near them like the university of Iowa or the University of Nebraska, and I get—I was—I was just about to say Kansas, but of course you—you know—you technically could say the Kansas City Royals just because they share the city name. But yeah, they're in Missouri, not in Kansas, so that does still apply. But I almost confused myself. <laughs> it's just so incredible, so incredible college football, college basketball. It's really—I—I I, I know I'm talking about football for the most part. Uh, but again, this, these will apply to other sports, not just football. It's football leading the way in which then it's really messing up the other sports because what what say do they have? Do the fans want this? It's not just fans of college football. It's fans of other sports, right? They, they may not care about other sports. And also parents is part of that. Like, do the parents want this because they are fans, right? They're fans of their kids and their teammates. Do the schools even want this? Like, you may have a school that's really good in college softball or volleyball or it could even be soccer, right? Do they even want this? The fact that, again, it's college football dictating all this when it comes to the conferences and the structure and, you know, whatever may have you. What about the players? Do they have a say in this? Also, like, what do they want? Like, if if the fans don't want this if the schools don't want this or the players don't want this then what do they want do they want to keep it the same or maybe they want a little bit of change but they want it to be too drastic like this is what we're talking about here we're talking about the state of college uh, football college sports and it's up in the air right now it really does come down to how the future is in the balance it really is and it's not going to be a huge deal, but at some point a transition is going to happen, and I'm just trying to prepare you for it. And then when that transition does happen, it's going to be pretty drastic, and you're going to feel the ripple effects. But I will tell you, in a few years, you're just going to get used to it. It's not the, like whatever. Like I'm not sure how long this format has been, but people have gotten used to it, and I feel like that that's going to apply as well. So. I just hope that when it comes to college football, and with college basketball, there's unpredictability, and that was really a big thing which I just kept talking about, and with tennis specifically, 
men's tennis that it was very predictable. Hopefully, when it comes to the money aspect, the fact that, yes, Texas is getting a lot of money, and um, Texas A&M also getting a lot of money. Hopefully, it changes the, the dynamic of predictability. The fact that they are the players are getting money and the schools can offer a lot of money to you know make their teams a whole lot better because I don't want to see Alabama keep on winning. I don't. I don't want to see Georgia repeat and have a dynasty, right? Or Ohio State or Clemson. Like I'm kind of over those four teams. I am, especially Alabama. Like I want to see different teams come into play here. Like it was nice to see Florida State against Oregon. You know, Mariota versus Winston. And, and Auburn, you know, with uh, Cam Newton was also nice to see. But you don't typically see that anymore. And that's where I'm kind of – and even if you do see a Cinderella story, they get stomped on by <laughs> by Alabama or someone else like Oklahoma because, you know, Baker Mayfield, Kyle Murray did not win in their lone college football playoff game. So that was kind of still disappointing. Hopefully, again, the predictability goes down. But, when, but Alabama is always going to be good. But are they going to be extremely good? Now, again, with the money playing to a factor and with schools offering a lot of money, they're not always going to get the best players now, Alabama. So that's going to be very interesting. And with these super conferences, in which, again, it has not happened yet, but I do think it's going to happen at some point. Maybe it's in 10 years or maybe it happens within five years. Who knows? But maybe that does play a factor in which, okay, do you want to go to the Big Ten? Do you want to go to the SEC? You know, which one is more notable, which one is more popular or uh, filled with more money or which one's more competitive, which one makes me a better football player, whatever the case may be. It might just be, oh, I hate the SEC because I grew up watching the Big Ten. It might be a little bit of a rivalry between the Big Ten and the SEC. Who knows? And again, I'm suggesting that ACC goes to the SEC and the Big Ten collects Big 12, the Pac-12, and then independent, I guess, could just, you know, choose amongst themselves. Or maybe just, maybe you have the independent league still independent, in which then you have technically three conferences, but the independent is never going to go to the Super Bowl because their lack of strength of schedule. So that is still in play, actually. But point is, is that when you have the Power 5, it's going to become the Power 2. Whether you like it or not, I think it's bound to happen, and the SCAA should brace for that. So I don't think they they would want that either. They like having this kind of format and being different from the four major sports, the four major leagues, I should say. And then, of course, MLS would be technically the fifth major league. But still, I'm sorry to say this, but brace yourselves. It's coming. Money is going to make this happen. And I actually think it might even make college football even more popular the fact that it works for all those major leagues and to make themselves more professional, even though amateurism still sells, it's just a huge dynamic that's so hard to explain, but yet so unbelievable, so unique. And it's just like, <laughs> it's really unbelievable how to explain college football, college sports. I know you could say, well, what about NFL? Can you explain that? And I'm like, I can a little bit more so college football. And there's just so many teams in college football. I guess really that's my whole thing with that. I don't know. Either way, I feel like you understand what I'm trying to say. And just getting you to a point where this is where the state of this sport right now and where it's heading. 
So with tennis, it has to do with the structure of its players and how you market them and also how you're going to view them. In which do you view them as a champion? Do you view them as someone who chokes? Or do you view them as someone or just in general, like do they win a championship? Who wins a lot? Who doesn't? And then with college football, the structure. And also, again, basketball is going to keep, might do this, but then go into a bracket in which that might affect seeding. And then when it comes to college baseball, softball, volleyball, soccer, it might follow this structure because football kind of dictates a lot in the NCAA, unless there is something I don't know about and it separates it. But I would assume that, you know, football is the main leader and it can have a lot of say in terms of, you know, if a university goes in this conference, then all these sports are going in the same conference because it would be a little bit weird to have a sport being played in one conference and then having football or basketball being played in another conference. Like, I would assume all the sports would have to transfer over. I feel like I've heard in one case it, it hasn't, but who knows? Like, I, again, I'm not an expert in any of these things, and please don't consider me an expert in any of these things. But anyway, that is the end. Again, if you have anything to say about this, whether it's college football happening right now or what you think is going to happen in the future, let me know. Let us know. If you have my number, text me. I mean, I prefer calling, but, you know, whatever. It's fine. And then, of course, you have social media, as always, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And you can always hit us up and also let us know about different topics that we haven't done yet and you want my perspective on or you want to come on to the show. Not a problem. Until then, I'll be back and listen to future episodes. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at high voltage with double a 